I want you to turn with me now, your Bibles, to the 51st Psalm. This is one of the more famous of David's Psalms. And I want us to read the first 11 verses together, keeping in mind what David says in the 17th verse of Psalm 51, when he says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, with those words in mind, let's read these first 11 verses together. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We all know that David committed some terrible sins. He committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. committed the sin of murder with Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. We also know that Paul said of David in Acts 13 and 22 that he was a man after God's own heart. Have you ever wondered how and why he was a man after God's own heart? Well, I believe the 11 verses that we just read together, friends and brethren, explain to us the reason that he was a man after God's own heart. You see, when David became aware of his sin, and it seems that he's writing this 51st Psalm, thinking about the sins that he committed with Bathsheba and Uriah, when he became aware of his sin, he didn't try to blame Bathsheba. He didn't say... Well, if Bathsheba hadn't been out there on the rooftop bathing that night, I never would have gotten involved with her. He didn't try to blame Uriah. He didn't say, well, if Uriah would have just cooperated with me and gone home like I told him to, I never would have had to have him sent to the front lines and had him killed. He didn't blame anyone. When he became aware of his sins, when he realized what he had done, he said, oh, God, be merciful to me. According to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. In these 11 verses, I counted the personal pronouns there, me, I, my, some 21 times. In 11 verses, David refers to himself some 21 times, confessing the fact that he had sinned, asking God to forgive him. Now there, friends and brethren, is the attitude that all penitent sinners are supposed to have. You ever ask yourself why so few people are coming to Jesus today? Why so few people outside of the church are obeying the gospel and coming into a covenant relationship with the Lord? Why so many people in the church are becoming delinquent and remaining delinquent? One of the reasons is, is because of our refusal to look at ourselves and examine ourselves. In Luke 13 and 3, Jesus says, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, the Apostle Paul said, Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Now, the problem with the world today, the problem with many people in the church is, we're not examining ourselves. We're examining everybody else, but we're not examining ourselves. We're proving everybody else, but we're not proving ourselves. We're judging everybody else, but we're not judging ourselves. That's the big problem in the world. The average person in the world who knows that he should be attending church, who knows that he should be a Christian, who knows that he should obey the gospel, he picks out some haphazard, indifferent member of the church, and he says, well, I'm just as good as that person. I don't have to become a Christian. I don't have to worship the Lord on the first day of each week. I mean, this man does all that. He's a Christian. And he's no better than I am. 
Well, friends and brethren, people who reason that way are making such a grave, grave mistake. What difference does it make if you're just as good as some haphazard member of the church? What difference does that make? That's not going to get you to heaven. In order to get to heaven, you're going to have to repent of your sins. That's what the Bible teaches. Turn to Jesus Christ and be obedient unto Jesus. No man, no woman can go to heaven confessing someone else's sins. But yet so many people seem to think that as long as they can find people in the church that are indifferent and haphazard and they're no worse than these people, that that somehow is going to justify them in the sight of God on the judgment day. And what sheer folly that is. And what a terrible way to reason that is. Until a person can look at himself and understand that he needs the Lord and need and see his need or her need for repenting and being obedient unto the Lord. Just that long, that person is going to remain outside of a covenant relationship with Jesus. Same way with delinquent members of the church. How many times you see delinquent members of the church who say, well, uh, the preacher let me down or I had confidence in one of the elders and they didn't conduct themselves in a manner that I thought Christians should conduct themselves. And so these brethren that are supposed to be faithful, uh, I'm just as good as they are. Well, friends and brethren, what a terrible way to reason. What a terrible way to reason. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the tenth verse, the Apostle Paul says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body according to that we have done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Knowing, therefore, the terrors of the Lord, we do persuade men. There's not a person on the face of this earth that's going to stand before God to judgment and give an account of what someone else did. Tell God how uh, the preacher let them down or how the elders let them down or how some deacon let them down, or how some Bible teacher let them down, or how, how the, not enough people visited them in the, from the church when they were sick, or how the song leader let them down. All that stuff is going to be meaningless. When we stand before God in the judgment day, we'll give an account of one person. That's ourselves. And how we responded to the grace of God, how we responded to the message of our Lord and Savior, that's the only thing that we will give an answer for. We will not answer for anyone else. Yet so many people seem to think that they can justify their indifference, justify their refusal to be right with the Lord, the refusal to obey the Lord, the refusal to repent of their sins because of the fact that other people who are in the church are just as weak as they are, just as bad as they are. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7 and 1? Did he say not say, judge not, lest ye be judged? For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. What measure, what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, and considereth not the beam which is in thine own eye? Or why do you see the, want to pull the mote out of your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast first the beam out of thine own eye. Then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. But you see, there's very few people today who subscribe to what Jesus taught in Matthew, the seventh chapter, the first through three verses. And they spend all of their life judging others. They spend all of their life talking about how bad others are. They spend all of their life trying to find something wrong with others, find fault in others. And they go into eternity never having repented, never having confessed their sins, never having done what the Lord has told them to do. Friends and brethren, that's what Paul is warning against in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. That's what Jesus is warning against in Luke 13 and 3. And that's what Jesus is warning against in Matthew, the 7th chapter, verses 1 through 3. You read every case of conversion in the, in the Bible, the New Testament we're talking about now. And every single, and also into the Mosaic dispensation when Jesus was on earth. Every single case of conversion, friends and brethren. Those people were converted because they looked at themselves. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached that great sermon to the Jewish people, the Bible tells us that these people were pricked in their hearts. And what did they say then? Did they cry out, men and brethren, uh, what shall the Gentiles do? 
Did they cry out, men and brethren, uh, what shall the Samaritans do? The Bible says in Acts 32 and, 2 and 37, they were pricked in their hearts and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Over there in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, when Philip was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, in the 35th verse, we read he was preaching unto him Jesus. And they came to a certain water. What did, he, what did the eunuch say? Here is water. What does hinder the chariot driver if there was one there on that occasion to be baptized? Here is water. What does hinder my native, native Ethiopian people to be baptized? That isn't what he said. Here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? When Saul of Tarsus was knocked down on the Damascus road, in Acts 9, chapter 6, verse, he looked up to the heavens. What did he say? Did he say, Lord, what would you have my entourage here to do? Did he say, Lord, what do you want these other people that are present with me to do? Lord, what do you want the uh, Pharisees that uh, I'm obeying, my, my, those who have told me to go to Damascus to arrest Christians, what do you want them to do? That isn't what he said. He asked the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? The Philippian jailer, when he became convinced that Paul and Silas were men of God, he said, Sirs, what would you, what must I do to be saved? That was the question. What must I do? Not what must someone else do. Not look at how bad that other person is. What must I do? When the prodigal come, son came home, the story that Jesus told in Luke 15, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and thee, and I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make unto, make unto me as one of thy hired servants. When the publican and Luke 18 prayed, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The thief on the cross said, remember me this day in thy kingdom. Zacchaeus in Luke 19 said, if I have sinned against anyone, I will repay them fourfold. That was the attitude of people in the first century. When they became pricked in their hearts, or when they were pricked in their hearts and realized that they were sinners and that Jesus was the Savior. The question was, what must I do? Now, conversely, friends and brethren, those people that did not come into a covenant relationship with the Lord, very often they talked about others rather than themselves. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18? I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. Remember the words of the elder son in Luke 15 and 29? Never at any time, Father, have I transgressed thy commandment. Remember the words of Jesus to those Pharisees in John 8 who wanted that woman caught in the act of adultery, stoned to death because of her sin? Jesus said, Let him without sin among you cast the first stone at her. You want to stone to death? Okay. We'll stone her to death. But first of all, look at yourself. First of all, examine your own conscience. Now, if you examine your own conscience and you're convinced that you're without sin, then cast the first stone at her. The Bible says they walked away from the eldest to the least, being convicted by their own conscience. They walked away from the eldest to the least when they looked at themselves. When Jesus got them to look at themselves, they were a whole lot more understanding with that woman caught in the act of adultery whole lot more compassionate towards that woman caught in the act of adultery. And I'll guarantee you, friends and brethren, I'll guarantee everyone in this television audience this morning, you want to see your need for Jesus, and you want to be more compassionate, more tolerant, more understanding towards other people, examine yourself. Look at your own heart. Ask yourself if you fit the category of those that Paul speaks of when he says there's not one that's righteous. No, not one. When he says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
When John says, any man that saith he hath no sin deceives himself, and the truth is not in. Ask yourself if you fall in that category. Ask yourself if you're not a sinner. Ask yourself if, if you, on the basis of the life that you lived, are worthy to go to heaven. Or the life that you live are worthy to go to heaven. Ask yourself if you can get to heaven without a Savior. Ask yourself if you can live above, the, above sin to the point that you can be worthy of salvation, that you can earn salvation. You know what all of you will do if you'll examine yourself in that manner? You'll cry out with those people of old, old, Lord, what would you have me to do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? What must I do to be saved? That's what we'll do if we would examine ourselves. But the problem is so few people are willing to examine themselves. Now the promise we have from the Word of God is that if we are willing to confess our sins, repent of our sins, if we're aliens, be obedient to Him in baptism, if we're delinquent Christians, to come back to Him. Well, then Isaiah says in Isaiah 1 and 18, Though our come, let us reason together. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. And though they be as crimson, they shall become as wool. Jesus says in Matthew 11 and 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and humble at heart, and ye shall find rest for your soul. In John 6 and 37, Any man that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. You see, we have the promise of God, the promise of our Savior, friends and brethren, that if we will just simply repent of our sins, if we will examine ourselves, if we will be obedient unto Him, He will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us in the blood of Jesus Christ, redeem us of our sins. If we are humble enough to say, Lord, I have sinned. If we're humble enough to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? If we're humble enough to confess our sins because He is just and willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends and brethren, as long as we're looking at other people, as long as we're trying to justify our shortcomings and the fact that uh, we're all sinners on the basis that we're no worse than somebody else or somebody that claims to be a Christian, just that long we'll be in our sins. Just that long we'll be lost. Just that long we'll be without Jesus Christ until every single solitary person on the face of this earth can say, I have sinned. What must I do? Come into a covenant relationship with Jesus. It'll be that long that those people, every person who refuses to ask that question, will be outside of the ark of safety. As long as we're looking at other people, as long as we're confessing the sins of other people, it's just that long that we will be outside of the ark of safety. No man can confess for any other man. We all can confess only for ourselves. You know, if I believed that the Bible taught that I could repent for you, I'd spend the rest of my time repenting for you. If I believed the Bible taught that I could be baptized for you, I would spend the rest of my time being baptized for you. If I believed that the Bible taught that I could worship for you, I would spend my time worshiping for you. I would do all of that, whatever is necessary, to assure your salvation. But you see, friends and brethren, I can't do that. No one can live for anyone else. No one can be obedient for, any, for anyone else. No one can pray for anyone else. We can pray for them in the sense that we want God to help them, but we can't pray in the sense that we say their prayers for them. No one can do anything for anyone else when it comes to our salvation. 
when it comes to what we need to do to come into a covenant relationship with the Lord. Every person must be willing to say, I'm a sinner. And what would you have me to do? To the alien sinner, it's repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins. To the delinquent Christian, it's confess your sins. And he is willing to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Over there in 1 John 2 and 2, where John says, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the propitiation for our sins. Have you ever thought of the meaning of that word, propitiation? It means, uh, in essence, to appease one's wrath. It means an atonement, atoning for someone else's sins, for someone else's mistakes. Let's just imagine that you offended the most powerful, wealthy man on the face of this earth. Because you offended that man, he sentenced you to death, sentenced you to be executed. Well, say I'm a billionaire, billionaire, and I know this man who you offended, and I also know you. So I go to the man who you offended, and I say, Sir, I know that what this man that you've sentenced to die, that you've sentenced to be executed, I know that what he did was wrong. I know that you're totally within your rights to sentence him to death by execution. I know that what he did is deserving of death by execution. But I love that man very, very much. And I'm willing to do anything, absolutely anything, to have him pardoned. I'm a billionaire. I'm going to give you every dime I have, every cent I have, in the hope that this will appease your wrath towards this man, in the hope that this will serve as an atonement in your eyes towards this man, in an effort to get you to pardon. And that man looks over at me and he says, I'm overwhelmed by your love. Overwhelmed by the sacrifice that you're willing to make on behalf of this man whom I, whom, I, whom I have sentenced to be executed. And I will pardon him with but one stipulation. One stipulation. That man will tell me he's sorry for what he did. If he will repent of his sin, because of what you are willing to do, I will pardon him. Now, friends and brethren, compare that to God and Jesus in heaven. And certainly this is just hypothetical, just an illustration trying to make a point. We sinned against God. Sin being the one thing that God could not tolerate, that he could not stand. He had to allow pain and heartache and sorrow and suffering to come into the world. That's why pain, heartache, sorrow, suffering, and death came into the world, because of sin. Romans 5 and 12, as by one man death entered into the world, and death by sin, so death hath passed on all men, because all have sinned. So we offended God by our sin, and God had to... Cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and into the world came pain, heartache, sorrow, suffering, sickness, and death. But Jesus came and came to the Heavenly Father. And along with that death came separation from God for a never-ending eternity. Punishment in hell, time without end. Jesus came to the Heavenly Father and he said, Father, I love them so very, very much. I know that they offended you. I know that they sinned against you. I know that their punishment is just. I know they're getting exactly what they deserve. I know that what you did is fair and equitable. I know that they deserve to be separated from you and from me for never-ending eternity. But I love them so much that I am willing to become one of them. I'm willing to take a form just like they have. To become a little lower than the angels and to die in their stead in order to appease your wrath, in order to, in order to atone for their sins. Heavenly Father looked at Jesus and he said, I'm overwhelmed by your love, by your compassion, by your mercy, 
by your desire for these people to escape hell and be with us in heaven for never ending eternity. Because of your love and because of what you're willing to do, I'm going to accept your sacrifice as a propitiation on their behalf. As an atonement, you have appeased my wrath, but with one stipulation. That is that those people must repent of their sins. They must repent of having violated my law and my commandment. If they're aliens, they must repent and obey me in baptism, obey my son, you in baptism. If they're delinquent Christians, they must repent and come back to me. That's the one stipulation that I make in order for your atoning sacrifice to redeem them. That's how, friends and brethren, Jesus Christ became our propitiation. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. By his stripes were we healed, Isaiah 53. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could be dead to sin. 1 Peter 2 and 24. His blood redeemed you and me. We've been redeemed. Not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, which you received from the vain conversation and traditions of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb without blemish and the Lamb without spot. 1 Peter 1 and 18. When Jesus Christ became a little lower than the angels, when he became humble enough that he took the form of a human being, when he went to Calvary's cross in your stead and my stead, when he died in your behalf and my behalf, when he died for us, he became our propitiation. He appeased God's wrath towards us. He became our atonement. And yet many, many people reject the sacrifice that Jesus made. In Titus 3 and 5, when Jesus said, It's not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to His mercy He has saved you by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying is, not because of anything that you do as far as your ability to earn your salvation, not by any works of righteousness which you've done, not by any works of merit which you've done, but according to His mercy He has saved you because of the love of Jesus. And because of what Jesus did for you, why, how? In the washing of regeneration, in the renewing of the Holy Spirit, in your obedience unto Him, He redeemed you. He forgave you. He cleansed you. Because of what Jesus did for you. Because Jesus became our propitiation. Because Jesus became our atonement. See, that's why, friends and brethren, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's why the Apostle said in Philippians 3 and 8 that I do count all things but refuse for the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why he said in Philippians 2 and about the ninth verse that God had given him a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth, and that every tongue should confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of the Father. That's why Peter said in Acts 4 and 12, there's no other name under heaven whereby man might be saved. That's why Philip preached unto the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus. That's why Philip preached to the Samaritans the kingdom of God and the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's why the first century church elevated Jesus above everything. Because Jesus was their Savior. Jesus had become their propitiation. Jesus had become their atonement. And there's so many people in the world, so many people watching this television program this morning, who reject the sacrifice that Jesus made on their behalf.
who refused to be obedient to Jesus, who refused to come back to Jesus, who crucified the Son of God afresh, placing Him to an open chain. There, friends and brethren, is the tragedy to compound all tragedies that mankind would reject Jesus, that mankind would not see the need for Jesus. Now, I know as you watch this television program that you can see your neighbor's need for Jesus. I know that you can see your friend's need for Jesus. And I know that you can probably see your husband's need for Jesus and your wife's need for Jesus and your children's need for Jesus and your parents' need for Jesus. But do you see your need for Jesus? Do you see your need for him? If you look into the mirror honestly and examine your own conscience, what do you see there? Do you not see a sinner without hope? Do you not see one who falls so far short of God's goodness and God's glory? Do you not see one who's incapable of atoning for his or her sins? Who's incapable of becoming his or her own propitiation? Do you not see one who needs Jesus? Why don't you look in that mirror? Why don't you look at yourself? Why don't you examine your own conscience? Why don't you say and ask the question with all those great people in biblical times who came into a covenant relationship with the Lord. Ask with them, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? To every single solitary one of you out there who's not a New Testament Christian, the command to you is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I would hope and pray that you could come to Rainbow Drive this morning with the intention of obeying your Lord in baptism, knowing that stands between you and the salvation of your soul, knowing that Jesus cannot become your atonement or your propitiation until you're willing to obey him. Therefore, being made perfect, he became the author of salvation unto all those who obey him. Not all who say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall not the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Hebrews 5, 8, 9, and Matthew 7 and 21. If you're a delinquent Christian, won't you come back to the Lord? Won't you do it this morning? Won't you come home? Don't die and don't leave this world without Jesus. You're going to die. Make certain.